Take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 1, where we have spent so much time and will continue to spend so much time. And, and let me just say while you're turning there, it has, it has really been such an honor to be able to open God's Word to you, that you would give me that privilege, that, that honor to do that. Uh, even when I'm sick, uh, like last week, uh, you guys are so patient with me and uh, allowing me to develop Allowing me to do what God's called me to do and, and what I love. This really is. This, this moment right here is really the highlight of my week every week. To be able to, as your pastor, open God's Word and hopefully lay it out in such a way that you can behold God and be compelled and interested in His Word. And I, I pray that He enables me to do that every week. So thank you for being patient with me, allowing me to do this it, it really is an honor. Over the last several weeks, we've been walking through uh, what are known as the infancy narratives of Luke chapter 1. We're about halfway through uh, the infancy narratives as they go through Luke chapter 2. And thus far, we've seen a lot of things about our God. Uh, we've seen the announcement of John the Baptist being made. We've seen the announcement of Jesus' birth being made. And we've looked at how God interacts with His children, how God interacts with those whom he calls like Zachariah and Elizabeth. We've looked at greatness, what it means to be great before the Lord, as described by the angel Gabriel of John the Baptist. We've looked at Mary's faith, as the angel came to announce to her that she would give birth to the Messiah. And we talked about the wonder of submitting to God in faith and that Mary really is that example to us. We've looked at our blessed Lord Jesus. And Gabriel's description of him, that he is eternal, he is the son of the most high, he is the royal king of the universe, uh, we can rest in that, we can rejoice in that. And so we've had a good time, or I've had a good time at least, walking through these two passages, these two announcements of the births of these two sons, as much as they've had in common, and what we've been able to learn about God, these two separate events that take place at separate times and separate ways. And today, we finally see them converge together in verse 39, where Mary begins to visit and, and meet with Elizabeth. We see these two stories finally come together. We also see, just as a side lesson, the benefit in Mary and Elizabeth's visit, the benefit of fellowship between believers, the benefit of like-minded Christians rejoicing in God, that they can share in excitement and share in thrill and Build one another up as they both celebrate what God's doing in their life. But that's not the point of the passage. Instead, we want to ask an important question. Why is this little snippet in Luke's gospel? I ask that of every passage I come to. Why did God inspire that passage to be in the Bible? Why did the author, Luke in this case, why did he think this was important? Because quite frankly... He could have left it out and it wouldn't have affected the flow of his gospel at all. If this passage wasn't in there, the reader would be able to understand, would be able to follow where he's going. And so what's his objective in including this passage? How does it further the objective of his gospel overall? What is the significance of it? What is its importance? And why does Mary write a song of praise after this encounter? What happens in this passage that inspires her rejoicing in God. Because 
again, it seems like Luke could have left it out and we would have been all right. And Luke doesn't just half-heartedly throw things in his gospel. He doesn't treat things hazardly like that. He's inspired by God to include it. So what is its significance? It must be important. And I hope that as we walk through this passage, you will begin to see the importance of it. Because like the passages before it, here we see so clearly the heart of God towards His children. We see what God cares about. What God is in the business of doing. What God desires to do in Elizabeth's life. Mainly to encourage her. So at this point in Luke's Gospel, we find Mary who has joined a long line of faithful people in Scripture. We know that because of verse 38. Her faithful response to Gabriel. You're going to have this child even though you're a virgin and God's going to do it in you and nothing's impossible with God. That's the answer I'm giving to you of how this is going to happen. And she says, okay, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Let it be to me according to what you've said. That is a resounding example of faith for us all. And so Mary has joined this long line of faithful people in Scripture. But however, there have been believers of all ages even today, who though they were at one time faithful and have expressed faith, still have issues with faith. Somehow in the course of their life or over a long period of time or a short period of time, something arises that the faith they once had begins to wither, begins to fade, it begins to flicker, and they are in desperate need of help because their faith is diminishing quickly. We are all fallen people, as we've already looked at in Luke 1. So we're all prone to doubt, disbelief, and discouragement. And such was the case for Mary. She would have been prone for these things, just like the priest Zechariah was prone to these things. And Mary is quickly going in to the test of her faith. She's quickly going into a situation that will, no doubt, refine her faith. Because of this pregnancy, because of the baby she's going to have, her life is about to change drastically. Her husband even wants to divorce her. The people of her community, they label her immoral. Her own family probably received ridicule. They probably were disgusted in her. Even her in-laws may have been disgusted in her for bringing reproach upon their name upon their son's reputation. Mary's about to go through the fire. She would have discouragement in the near future, in the days ahead of her, and her faith would most certainly be tested. That's true of many people in Scripture. Like I mentioned before, we're all prone to doubt, all prone to disbelieve, all prone to discouragement. We can walk throughout all the pages of Scripture and see that of faithful people in the Bible who were impatient, who needed discipline for their lack of faith, who needed reassurance for their lack of faith. Talk about Abraham and Sarah, right? God made a promise to them. They were impatient, unwilling to wait. Their faith was wavering. So Abraham slept with Hagar and had born Ishmael. Talk about Moses. 
God says, Moses, I want you to stand before Pharaoh. and I want you to speak to Pharaoh on my behalf. And I want you to help lead Israel out of Egypt. It was Moses' issue. He was afraid to stand before Pharaoh. He was afraid to lead Israel. Talk about Gideon. We can talk about Hezekiah. We can talk about John the Baptist. The greatest man who's ever lived according to our Lord. The man who is the forerunner of Christ. The man who has the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. The man who would stand unwaveringly declaring that this is the Lamb of God. He's the one who's the Christ, not me. Declaring unwaveringly that Herod, you're in sin. Declaring the truth of God boldly, yet when he's in prison, sends his disciples to Jesus to see if Jesus really is who he says he is. Even John the Baptist had issues with doubt. God knows all this. God knows that we are fallen people, that we need reassurance, we need confirmation, we need encouragement to strengthen our faith. And in all these instances, what happened? In every one that I've mentioned, God encourages their faith. Don't you just think about that for a moment. We belong to a God who encourages our faith. A God whose heart it is to increase our faith. A God who desires for us to believe in Him. Our God doesn't just walk away from the table and leave it up to us to figure things out. Our God is constantly encouraging us, constantly equipping us. You and I, we don't have to go to the bookstore and look for the encouragement section to find encouragement for our faith. While that may be helpful, you and I can personally turn to a God who desires to encourage you in your faith. Who desires to encourage you in your walk. That's the heart of God. To increase your belief in Him. We can look at the disciple Thomas. Jesus appeared to the disciples after He had resurrected. Thomas wasn't there. Jesus leaves. Thomas shows up and the disciples say, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He's alive. He's risen from the grave. And Thomas makes the emphatic statement, unless I place my finger in the hole in His hands and my hand in His side, I will never believe. And then later Jesus shows up. Again, appearing in the midst of the disciples and says, Thomas, singles him out. Put your finger in these holes. Put your hand in my side. And what does our Lord say to him? Don't disbelieve, but believe. Man, I would have been that way. I'd have jumped in and said, Thomas, why didn't you believe? Why are you of little faith? What's your issue? I've walked with you for three years. You've seen all these miracles. Why are you doubting? But that's not what our Lord does. It's his heart to increase the faith of Thomas. He grows, goes to great lengths to increase his faith. Cause him to believe. That's the heart of God. To be the encourager of those who even have little faith. To build us up in walking with him and trusting him. That's what we find in this passage this morning. As we look at the heart of God, Mary has just recently heard the message from Gabriel. And God knew how unsettling this message could be for her, although she responded in faith, it could result in confusion. And he knew most certainly that in the near future, she's going to encounter 
much discouragement from people around her. And so it's here in this little passage, you and I find an important truth about God that pertains most directly to our lives today. God desires to build our faith. God desires to encourage us to trust in Him. And He goes through great efforts to do so. In this passage, we find Luke, first of all, setting up the the context, setting up the scene. Again, Mary has just heard from Gabriel, and she asks why sincerely, uh, why how, or how is this going to happen? Gabriel gives her the answer, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. So, uh, God, God the Most High is going to av- overshadow you, going to create in you this child. He's going to be holy because of that, going to be called the Son of the Most High. And then he uses Elizabeth as his example that, that nothing is impossible with God. Mary responds faithfully. And then in verse 39, she gets up, Luke says. In those days, she arises and she goes with haste to find Elizabeth. Really, it means she goes immediately. Most people think about three or four days have passed since Gabriel had met with her, given her the message that she's going to give birth to the Messiah by the time she meets with Elizabeth. And she presumably runs to meet Elizabeth for three reasons. To see if uh, what the angel said of her was true, if she's really pregnant. To celebrate with her for her pregnancy, but also to share the good news of her own pregnancy and what uh, the message of God was to her. And so this young Mary, in her early teens, travels some 60 to 50 miles south, traversing the most rocky and hilly country in Israel, to the hill country of Judah, close to the proximity of Jerusalem, just to meet with Elizabeth. And early church fathers, just a side note, did not like to preach this passage because they were afraid it would promote in their own church members young people traveling so far. So they would avoid this a lot of the times. But young Mary most certainly traveled that far to meet with Elizabeth. And God had a plan the whole time. And finding Elizabeth, she greets her And we begin to learn the key of this passage. You look there in verse 41. After Mary greets Elizabeth. The baby leaps in her womb. And then Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the key to this passage. God fills up Elizabeth with his spirit. And begins to speak through her to Mary to encourage her in her faith. Knowing the difficult days that lie ahead, knowing that she's young and is going to have to make a lot of decisions, knowing the difficulties that are going to happen even after she gives birth to Jesus, the difficulties in in the future when this baby will one day hang upon the cross, God calls her to be encouraged, to remember all that He's done for her, and He does this through her relative Elizabeth. Filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's read our passage this morning. And then we will begin to walk back through it. And see how God encourages Mary through Elizabeth. Back up with me in verse 34. Gabriel's just told her about Jesus. It's going to be great. The Son of the Most High. He's going to have the throne of David. 
shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. In verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth and her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God and Mary said behold I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The first thing in this passage that we notice that God encourages Mary with, He encourages her with her blessing. She should be encouraged by her blessing. That's verse 42. As Elizabeth begins her God-ordained message, that's what she begins with exclaiming her pre-existing blessing and not pre-existing as an eternal pre-existence, a blessing that was there before Elizabeth made this statement, a blessing that was already in existence before she met with Elizabeth. Now we have to ask the question, what exactly is being said here? And I have to, I'm duty bound as a pastor to expose something to you here, false teachings That arise from this verse right here. Because there are many false teachings. That bank upon that verse. That she's blessed among women. Most notably. False teachings of the Catholic Church. Right? A good shepherd. Exposes false teaching to protect the flock. They have to do that. And so let me highlight. What the Catholic Church teaches about Mary. They teach that she's immaculate, meaning that she is without sin in her entire life. She's without original sin or personal sin, and that as a reward of that, she was taken into heaven, body and soul, where she lives today and reigns with Jesus as Queen of the Universe and Queen of Heaven. They also teach that she is a perpetual virgin, that even after she gave birth to Jesus, God maintained her virginity so that she would remain pure and innocent and that today she reigns as the queen of heaven, the queen of the universe as a perpetual virgin. Now, I don't want you to just take my word for it. This morning I want to read to you the official doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church for Mary. Their Marian doctrine. And this is their summary statement concerning Mary. The Catholic Church, quote, the Catholic Church teaches that by a free decision of God, the blessed Virgin Mary was elevated to become the mother of his son, Jesus Christ, 
and Jesus' worthy associate in redeeming mankind. She was prepared for this role by being preserved by God's grace from all sin, original and personal, throughout her entire life, and was rewarded at the end of her life for her cooperation with God's plan by being taken up body and soul into heaven, where she reigns as her son, uh, reigns with her son as queen of the universe, and whence she distributes to men all the graces with which, uh, with, through, and under her son, she helped to merit on Calvary. End quote. So in their summary doctrine of Mary, they teach she was Jesus' worthy associate in redeeming mankind, that she was preserved from all sin, sinless in her existence, and that she helped to merit on Calvary the graces that she helps dispense. The Catholic Church also makes a couple of footnotes concerning that doctrine. The first one being that Christ was the complete and sufficient Redeemer of mankind, that Mary was not chosen out of necessity, but nonetheless does help Him in redeeming mankind. And that Jesus is the only Redeemer and mediator by His own power, but also Mary does still help Him mediate and redeem. Then they include this final footnote. Quote, In order to understand the grounds for the church's teaching on Mary, it is necessary to understand the church's teaching on sacred tradition. Those who believe that the Bible is the only source of divine revelation will certainly have trouble understanding where Catholic teaching on Mary has come from. End quote. That is because it is not found in the Bible. They believe that the church's opinion and sacred tradition is on par, on the same level, is equal to Scripture. And so what that means is that centuries ago, some pope made this up about Mary and the church believes it. And they add, those who believe the Bible won't find this in the Bible. They'll have trouble believing this. Yet they turn to this verse here and they say that's evidence of what we believe about Mary. And I highlight this because there are over one billion people who profess to be Catholics associating with that church. And this is a very serious false teaching. Nobody is Jesus' worthy associate in redeeming mankind. Nobody aided him on Calvary to merit graces to dispense to anyone else. Only Christ. Only Jesus. Redeems mankind. As in need of no assistance. Does God by his grace save some Catholics? Yeah he does. Just like he saves by his grace some Southern Baptists. But this is what they associate with. Not just a false teaching. A false gospel. And I have to make clear. That's not what Elizabeth is saying about Mary at all. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. I'm thankful they added that footnote. This is not what Elizabeth is getting at. This is not what the Holy Spirit is inspiring her to say. Rather, Elizabeth is simply highlighting the great blessing that has already come upon Mary. You are blessed, Mary. And no one can argue that God has given to her tremendous honor 
a high honor of giving birth to the Messiah. Nobody would debate that. But this tremendous honor was given to Mary by God's grace. Remember what the angel said to her? Mary, you've been favored with grace. You've been shown grace from God. This blessing is not by any virtue in Mary. It is by God's mere pleasure. And therein lies the encouragement for Mary. Be encouraged, Mary. Because remember, by God's own desire, you've been greatly blessed. He's shown you tremendous grace. He's given you a, a awesome, awesome blessing. Have courage, have faith, rejoice in God in the days ahead and remember your blessing. Blessed are you among women. Remember what God has done in your life and what he is doing. When you face all the difficulties of this pregnancy, all the difficulties of the days to come, remember God's blessing on you. Remember that God has shown you grace. Remember the significance of this birth. Remember that the Messiah is coming into the world and you are a part of that. Elizabeth continues in verse 42, extending this blessing not only to Mary, but to the fruit of her womb. And that's because Mary's blessing is unmistakably tied to the blessing of her womb. Blessed are you, Mary, because blessed is your womb. And that's Elizabeth's whole point. You're the most blessed of all women because you give, you give birth to the greatest son of all women. It all centers around Christ. Know who's in your womb, Mary, because that makes you blessed. God has greatly blessed you. Remember that when doubt assails upon you. Discouragements come your way. When your faith is tested. When life gets difficult. Remember God's blessing. This blessing by Elizabeth is not one that's being conferred to Mary. She's simply stating something that already exists. You're blessed because your child. You're blessed because the one who's in your womb. Remember how big of a deal this is. That the Messiah is coming into the world. That's what this statement's meant for. To encourage Mary. God forgot to remind her and build her up concerning the extreme importance of what He's called her to, what He's doing in her life. Remember your blessing. All the children of God would do well to remember the blessings of God. To remember the significance of what He's done in their life. To remember the faith that He has given to them. We would all do well to heed this statement by Elizabeth. Remember what God has done in your life. Every time that doubt creeps in, and it will. Every time you feel overwhelmed in life. Every time people ridicule you, persecute you. Discouragements come upon your heart. Remember God's blessing in your life. Remember a great salvation given to you. Given freely to you. Secured by Christ for you. Applied to you for eternity. Remember that blessing. There is great strength. For God's people. God's children. When they remember these blessings. That he secured for them. Because these blessings church. They provide fuel for courage. 
for faith, for peace, for joy that can't be taken away. Difficulties will come upon your life. You'll be faced with tough decisions. You'll have to do things that you won't want to do. And when your heart begins to sink within you, remember God's blessings. Remember the great salvation secured for you. That will be fuel to remain faithful. Oh, Mary. Difficulty will come. But blessed are you among women, because blessed is the fruit of your womb. Remember that and you'll get through. Don't you know that's how the persecuted church endured all the beatings that they still endure today? They can be beaten upon in their prison cells or they can be tied to the stake and burned or they can be beheaded. Do they know the hope that's been given to them? They remember the blessing of salvation. They know that this life is temporary and what happens here doesn't compare to what happens in eternity with Christ. Second thing we look at in this passage, God has encouraged Mary by her blessing. Now God encourages her through her child. Verse 43 and verse 44. Be encouraged through your child. This is a major confirmation for Mary from Elizabeth concerning the child that she's going to give birth to. And it's again a confirmation that's supposed to drive home the significance of her pregnancy. Remember how big of a deal this is. Remember what the the angel said to you about the child you're going to have, Mary. Because it's, it's a major deal. It's important. Remember the significance of who is in your womb. That's why she's supposed to be encouraged by her child. And if anything in the world would encourage Mary, it should be the one who's in her womb. Not simply because she's giving birth to the Messiah, but most importantly because he's finally coming into the world. The long-awaited deliverer, the promised one of God, is coming to redeem mankind. So be encouraged through the child that's in your womb. I want you to notice first, out of verse 43, notice first the humility of Elizabeth. She's the wife of a priest that has significance in the world's eyes, that has reputation and standing. She's older in age, so just by her age, her eldership, she should be respected, honored. She's well off financially. She's pregnant herself. God's performing a miracle in her own life. And yet, in verse 43, she expresses great humility at Mary coming to see her. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And this humility of Elizabeth, it comes from who she identifies in Mary's womb. My Lord. Why is my Lord here? That's so significant for her to say that. One, she wasn't present when Gabriel spoke to Mary and said, He is going to be the Lord Most High. But two, Lord is a very specific title reserved for God only. And it's a divine title that here signifies your, your child is God. Why would this blessing be granted to me that God would come visit me? That my Lord would be here. 
You see, Elizabeth knew that her son would be great. But she's humbly acknowledging here that Mary's son would be greater. She was excited that her son, that she would get to have a son, period, but that her son would be the forerunner to the Messiah. But she's so much more excited and so much more thrilled that the Messiah is coming into the world. This results for her in humility before Mary. Again, not because Mary visited her, because the child in Mary's womb would visit her. This is a reinforcement for Mary. That what Gabriel said about the child she'd give birth to is true. Even Elizabeth has great humility before him. Second, I want you to notice in verse 44, the leap of John the Baptist. Something that's mentioned there in verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. In verse 44, Elizabeth is explaining that leap. Because it's more than just a baby kicking in a mother's womb. It's more than just the normal movements of a baby. This is something different. Something that Mary or Elizabeth could identify as an excitement, joyous movement. And Elizabeth is giving an answer to what this leap actually is. It's John's beginning testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. His whole life, his whole existence is meant to point people to who Jesus is. And he's being filled from his mother's womb uh, with the Holy Spirit. That's what Gabriel said about John the Baptist. And here, in his leap, he gives his first prophetic testimony. That child is different. That child is unique. The child in Mary is the one I'm here to be the forerunner to. He is the Messiah. And Elizabeth simply gives voice to John's leap. My child, Mary, is testifying with a joyous leap concerning your child. He's here. This leap also for Mary would have proved Elizabeth's pregnancy without a shadow of a doubt. Not only seeing her, but hearing the testimony of the baby in her. Which in Mary's mind would have genuinely meant. If Elizabeth is pregnant, then nothing is impossible with God. It's true. And if God kept his word to Elizabeth, he will certainly keep his word to me. Both of these things, Elizabeth's humility towards the child in Mary's womb and John's leap testifying concerning the child in Mary's womb, they're both meant to confirm from God for Mary that this is a baby unlike any other baby. What I've said about him is entirely true. Rejoice, Mary. Remember the child in your womb. Be encouraged in your faith. Because he is the son of God. He is holy. He is going to be on the throne of David forever. His kingdom will never have an end to it. God is using Elizabeth. Who is filled with the Holy Spirit. To well up in Mary's heart. Courage. To well up faith. To well up praise and rejoicing in her heart so that she can respond in verse 46 my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior he's looked on the humble estate of his servant praise god i am blessed praise god for the child that's in my womb extreme encouragement for mary the third and final thing that elizabeth points out is there in verse 45 be encouraged because you're blessed. Be encouraged by the child in your womb. 
be encouraged by the faith that you've already shown. Be encouraged by the faith you've already expressed. Because Mary, she was blessed, but not only because she was giving birth to, to the Christ. That's most important. But she's also blessed because she believed God. She had faith in God. And this, this statement, verse 45, is set against the backdrop of Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, who's still sitting there mute and unable to speak because he doubted God. Probably sitting in the next room or at the same table. And Elizabeth exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you because you believed. And that's right. Because what does belief and what does faith do in our lives? It doesn't secure more blessings for us. It enables us to enjoy the blessings already given to us. Blessed are you because you believed and now you're enjoying the work of God in your life. You're realizing the significance of the baby you're giving birth to. And that's the lesson for us, right? Notice Elizabeth uses the pronoun she. And she uses that for two reasons. One, because it personally applies to Mary, but also because it extends to all who believe in the Lord. Blessed are all who have faith in God. Blessed are all who believe what He says in His Word, what He promises to do in their life. Blessed who look at Him and trust Him. Not because they receive more blessing, but because they get to enjoy Him. Enjoy the blessings that He's given. Be encouraged because your faith means something. This statement, this final statement by Elizabeth, no doubt it's meant to exhort Mary on to greater faith and more belief and more trusting in God. Church, what, what we find here today, what we see God doing here for Mary is really the same thing that He still does for us today. God is an encourager of faith. God wants to increase our faith. God wants to build up our faith. And we are prone to be just like Moses, just like John the Baptist, just like all the others of Scripture who doubt. Let me tell you, you can turn to this God and be encouraged. Because He sent His Holy Spirit Speak into our hearts to lead us, guide us, convict us, encourage us, give us faith. He's given us His Word, the Scriptures, so that at any turn we can open a page and read about the heart of God and be encouraged in our faith. Given us brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage us through the Scriptures. Given us the church to encourage us through the Scriptures. God wants you to have faith in Him. God wants you to trust in His Word. Trust in His plan. Trust in His existence. Trust in His being. He looks at you and He says, I am good. Trust me. Have faith. No matter the difficulties that come from this sinful, wretched world that we live in, have faith. This isn't a distant, impersonal God. He's a God that will personally Confirm you, strengthen you, support you, build you up. As Peter tells his readers, he's going to personally restore you. This is the God we belong to. He ultimately wants to encourage people to believe in Jesus. Most importantly, have faith in the work on the cross. Don't turn to Mary for your salvation. Don't turn for yourself 
to yourself for salvation. Don't turn to the good works of the law for your salvation. Turn to Christ alone for your salvation. Have faith. Trust that what Jesus did on the cross, what He secured in His work on the cross, when He said, it is finished, it was enough, it was good, it will save. I mean, if we're being honest this morning, there are some of you here today, you're struggling with your faith. You're having an issue right in this moment. Your faith is withering. Your faith is weak. Your faith is flickering, fading away, and you are in desperate need of help. Let me encourage you to turn to the encourager of faith, God Himself. Seek Him in prayer. Ask Him to grow your faith. Ask Him to grow your walk with Him, your obedience, your desire for Him. Spend time studying His Word and He will encourage and increase your faith. Here's the other reality. Some of you are here this morning and you know maybe for the first time you have zero faith. You've never trusted in Christ. You don't know what it means to be blessed by God. You don't know what it means to know this child that's going to be born you don't know what it means to have previous faith in God. Because you're an unbeliever. And you turn to the God who will give faith. The God who asked you to trust in Him. The God who secured your salvation on the cross if you will only come and repent. Church, there should be no excuse for us to be afraid to engage the world with the gospel. To have little faith, a lack of faith, and trusting in God. So we can turn right here. And be reminded of our blessing. The salvation secured for us. Be reminded that this child was born. And went to the cross for us. Be reminded that the faith that he enables us to have. Trust in the encourager God. Him who built up Mary. And wants to build us up too. That we can enjoy him forever. Enjoy him here in this life. Enjoy him in this world. Good, great faith.